I love the new year. Like January 1, 2017, isn't that crazy? It's just hard to believe. I mean, I can remember when I thought 20 anything sounded like a long way away. And here we are in 2017. You know, most of the world's traditions involve looking for a hope, looking for something better in the new year. When they celebrate the new year and most of the world's traditions, they are talking about wanting something better in the coming year. And I love New Year's. It gives a chance for us to think about how do we want this next year to be as compared to how this last year was. I think about this morning, 2017, January 1, the list of my failures in 2017 is as short as it's going to be right now. This is a great moment. And, uh, you know, think about what, we wanna, what, what, what do we want to accomplish this year? What do we want to do? How do we want to live this year? And what I like about New Year's Day and thinking about the new year is it gives us all a chance of thinking about how we want things to be better. How we want our lives to be better. How we want our walk with Christ to be better. And I like thinking about the fact that this year I'm starting new. Starting over. I got a new year to try to become a more faithful follower of Christ. I've got a new year to try to become the kind of husband that I want to be, the kind of father I long to be. I've got a new year. I get to start over and do something in 2017 that I hope is better than 2016. Do you feel like that about 2017? I like that about 2017 and January 1. But what I really, really like about today is not the fact that it's January 1, 2017, but the fact it's Sunday. See, every single week we get to gather in this place together and we get to have a brand new start every week. We come in here and no matter what the week like has has been before we got here, when we get here, we can start fresh and brand new because God meets us in this place. I just want to tell you how I'm going to approach every Sunday this year. I'm going to come into this place expecting God to so work in my life that I, that I believe I can start brand new, start over, start fresh in the week to come. And then I come in here the next week, I'm going to say, I'm going to start over this week. Because here's the thing, I don't ever want to come into this place on a given Sunday and act like I've got it all together. Because this is not the gathering of those who have it all together. This is the gathering of those who believe in the one who holds us together. When I come into this place every single Sunday, what I want to come in here saying is I'm not bringing all that I have to offer to God. I am coming because I need so much from God. I'm not coming in here because I'm perfect and I'm here to tell all of you as your preacher how you can become more like me. I'm not going to do that. You should be glad. I'm going to come in here every Sunday and just say, you know what? I know that I'm not perfect, but I know that Christ will meet us here and he will keep perfecting me. I can start over today. I'm not going to come here because I no longer struggle and pity all of you who still do. I'm coming here because I'm willing to stay in the struggle one more week. And I'm gathering with a group of people that are saying the same thing. I love that every single Sunday is kind of like the beginning of a new week. Kind of like it's the beginning of a new year. I get to start over. 
And I love that God meets us right where we are. And His grace cleanses us. As we trust in Christ, He points the way to a better way, to a better week. Because we've come together to let His grace just saturate our hearts. I want that to be what we experience every Sunday of this year. And so I want to start this morning by moving in that direction, just by thinking, how can we let God do something in us in this moment that gives us a sense of starting towards a better way? I have seen a pattern over the years. In my life, periodically, in in the lives of many people around me, in church and outside of church, that at best robs people of life and at worst completely destroys them. After Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, all of the followers of Jesus and the disciples gathered together. There's about 120 of them. And they gathered together in this upper room and they began to talk about a variety of things as they prayed and sought the Lord. I mean, this was an unprecedented time in history. This is a gathering of a group of people in a special moment of history that no one could have ever imagined or forecasted. And here they were gathered together, 120 of them, in this room, in this place, seeking the Lord, wanting to follow the Lord, to follow Him to a better way of living, a better way of demonstrating who Christ is to a world that has not ever heard about Christ. Here they were gathered and they had a little dilemma they wanted to talk through. There's one of the 12 disciples who's no longer with us, And we believe the Bible says that there's supposed to be someone who takes his place. And so Peter stands up in the group and he says, we've got to make a solution here. We've got to find someone to fill this 12th spot. We've got 11 apostles. We're supposed to have 12. And the scripture indicates we should fill this office. So let's talk about doing that. And so they begin to talk through that. I want to read the passage in Acts chapter 1 that references this event of these followers of Christ seeking after the will of God. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together. And he said, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas. He became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language that field was called Hakadelma. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of those must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who's also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, 
show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. As I've thought about this story, I've found myself wondering what it would be like to be Barsabbas. Here you are gathered with 120 of your closest companions who are willing to follow Christ together no matter the challenge, no matter the difficulty. Certainly they've experienced some amazing times of encouragement and community as they've gathered together to follow the Lord. And they make this unprecedented decision, we've got to fill this 12th spot. They put forth Barsabbas and Matthias and just thinking to myself, what would it be like to be Barsabbas in that moment when you hear the words, let's pray together about this. God, you know the hearts of all men. If it were me in that moment, I would say, time out. Let's rephrase that prayer. Because in the next moment when the lot falls to Matthias, what is it that Barsabbas feels like when he realizes he was not chosen. God who knows the hearts of all people. And Matthias was chosen. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what Barsabbas feels. He doesn't tell us about his reaction. The Bible does not tell us about his emotional response. But I find myself putting my own attitudes and feelings in the place of Barsabbas and I can imagine exactly how I would have felt and reacted to that moment. In my own life I have a season where I experienced resentment. You have a story like that? Or maybe something didn't go your way. Maybe you didn't get what you thought you deserved. Maybe something else got what you believed would belong to you. I mean, the truth is that all of us understand the story of Barsabbas from the perspective of how we might react when we didn't get what we thought we should have. We, we don't know what Barsabbas did. We don't know what he felt like. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I think there's a story written in each one of our hearts that indicates what we might have done had we been in a similar situation. Resentment. Maybe your story of resentment has something to do with your workplace. Maybe you didn't get the promotion. Maybe you didn't get the position. Maybe it has to do with your family. Maybe the family you grew up in isn't the family you thought you deserved, that your lot in life wasn't as good as somebody else's. Maybe your resentment story has to do with your own family right now, your marriage. Maybe your spouse has really hurt you, and you struggle with the temptation towards resentment. Maybe your kids are grown, and they've gone off to live their own life, and they're no longer following the Lord, and they really don't have anything to do with you on a spiritual level, and it hurts. 
I mean, the truth is that every one of us have some kind of story where we've experienced some sense of temptation towards resentment. Resentment is, is kind of like a paper cut. You ever had a paper cut? Isn't it amazing how you can get one little paper cut on your finger and it's almost unnoticeable to anybody else, but it can affect the way you use your hand entirely? It is crazy how that happens. Resentment is like a thousand paper cuts on your heart. The wound is not visible, but the effects touch everyone. I'm convinced that this year is a year when we ought to say, you know what? There is something better than resentment. Although my year may include a variety and host of reasons why I would choose resentment, I want to instead choose a better way. Maybe you've heard the little story about how an Eskimo kills a wolf that's a problem to the village. Have you heard that story? How he takes a, a big Bowie knife and he dips that knife into some seal blood and then he f lets it freeze and then he dips it again in the blood and lets it freeze and he builds up this huge blood popsicle. Nice visual image there. <laughs> and he takes that knife, the hilt of that knife and he buries it into the snow and he freezes that in there and it's sit out there where the wolves would typically come and a wolf would smell that blood and would come begin to lick on that blood popsicle and his tongue would become so numb by licking on that that he would no longer have feeling in his tongue and then he would not realize that the blood he's now tasting is his own instead of the popsicle and he would bleed to death resentments like that See, we, we believe that we deserve something better. We believe that it shouldn't be that way. We believe that they shouldn't get that and I should get that. We believe that this should not be the situation that I'm in right now. I've done better than this. I deserve more than this. Why is God letting this happen? And we choose resentment. In that moment, we choose resentment. We believe we are seeking what is best for ourselves, all the while choosing a route that will lead to our own death and destruction. There is simply a far better way than resentment for each of us in our lives. And because I have traveled a road in my life where I have experienced seasons of resentment and the temptation towards resentment, I just want to encourage you I want to encourage you with a couple of things that, has made, that have made and are continuing to make a difference in my life. Again, remember, I'm coming here every Sunday, not because I have overcome struggles, but because I am choosing to keep struggling one more week. And I want to tell you some of the reasons why I find it so appealing to stay in the struggle, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how challenging it is. I want to encourage you to never lose sight, to never lose sight of your own forgiveness in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't ever lose sight of your own forgiveness in your relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the truth is that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have been forgiven of your greatest problem your own sin. 
Your own sin creates your greatest dilemma. The greatest dilemma, the worst circumstance you could ever have in this life, this side of heaven, is your own sin. It's your own sin that has separated you from God. It's my own sin that has separated me from God. And I need a remedy for that separation. And because God has offered love and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ, my own greatest problem has been solved through trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I can never, ever get get past, get over, forget, keep out of the front of my sight the love of Christ and my relationship with Jesus and the forgiveness of God that I've experienced through trusting in Jesus Christ. You know, the apostle Matthew, he, he met Jesus Christ and it changed his life. He never got over it. And in his gospel that he writes for us in this account of Jesus' life and works, he gives us an indication of the fact that he never got over it. You imagine Matthew one day sitting at his tax collecting booth. You know, a tax collector in Matthew's day was the worst of the worst, an outcast. Nobody liked tax collectors. When you see the descriptions of tax collectors in the New Testament, they're lumped in with sinners, prostitutes, reprobates, outcasts, unwanted. Matthew is an outcast. He's the worst of the worst. The people around him don't like him. They think he's an extortioner and a traitor. And one day he's sitting at his tax collecting booth and Jesus walks up and he says these words. And Matthew records them in Matthew chapter 9. He says, follow me. What must that have been like for Matthew? He wants me to follow. Where? To the principal's office? No, follow me. Matthew experienced the forgiveness of God through his faith in Christ and he experienced a relationship with Jesus that changed everything. About a third of the way through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew lists out the names of the apostles. Matthew chapter 10, he lists out the names of the apostles. He begins with Simon, who is called Peter the Rock, and then his brother, Andrew. And he just goes through the list and he has little descriptions for a few of them he says James and his brother John and he gets down to Judas Iscariot the one who betrayed Jesus so there's these little descriptions about some of the apostles when Matthew lists his name right in the middle of the list you know what he says about himself when he lists out the names of the apostles and he gets to his name he says Matthew the tax collector I find that remarkable when Matthew listed his name among the apostles, he could not leave out the description of who he was. Tax collector. He simply never got over the fact that he'd been forgiven and the fact that he was in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you not to let out of your sight, the significance of your forgiveness. Barsabbas in that moment, when he was not chosen, he had a choice to make. Would he in that moment become resentful that he wasn't chosen? Or would he keep in mind the circumstance of his own forgiveness and the relationship he had with Jesus Christ? I propose to you that if Barsabbas keeps in the forefront of his mind the circumstance of his own forgiveness, then the circumstance of not being chosen is not important. 
If he keeps in mind his relationship with Jesus Christ, then the relationship he has with the 120 people in that room that is there watching him not get chosen is not negatively affected because it's his relationship with Jesus Christ that gives him bearing on all other circumstances and relationships. He had to keep in the forefront of his mind the circumstance of his own forgiveness and the relationship he had with Jesus Christ. There is no question that in this year, you and I are going to have opportunities to resent someone or some circumstance. And the only way you can choose a better way in the moment where you are tempted to resent is by keeping your focus on the one circumstance that has changed everything, your forgiveness. You see, if you choose resentment, do you recognize what you're doing? In the moment that you have an option, a temptation to choose resentment, what you're actually doing in that moment is you are choosing in that moment to step back into that which separates you from the Lord in a relationship. You are saying, essentially, I would rather have what I want. And since I don't get what I want, I'm going to choose to resent what I have and miss out on the one thing that can change my circumstance completely. Your forgiveness and your love. I'm just going to choose to resent. And in choosing to resent, you put yourself back in the situation from which you were Saved. You see, nothing else is more dangerous, more um, difficult and challenging in your life. Nothing else hinders you in your life like your own decision to sin. What somebody else does to you will never affect you more deeply or more negatively than your own choice to resent what they did to you. What some circumstance brings into your life will never affect you more negatively than your own choice to resent that circumstance. It's your choice not to set your eyes on the forgiveness of Christ and the love of Christ that puts you in a position that is far worse than anyone or anything else can put you into. You must keep your eyes and hearts fixed on the forgiveness of God in your relationship with Jesus. The second thing that I think you must do is you must keep your eyes fixed on the goodness of God in and through all circumstances and all relationships. I think it's really easy to really be excited about the goodness of God in circumstances that don't give opportunity for resentment. We find it very comfortable to praise God and thank God and share with friends those circumstances in our lives that create zero reasons for resentment and every reason for excitement, thanksgiving, and joy. But do you realize that the reasons in your life for feeling like resentment is a legitimate option 
are also those things in your life where the goodness of God can be found. It's often in those moments where we feel temptation towards resentment, where God has created the perfect crucible to invite us in to experiencing his love and purpose in an unbelievably life-changing way. And God's goodness is not any less issued towards us in Christ in circumstances that give reason for resentment than in circumstances that give no reason for resentment. The scripture says in Psalm 119 that God is good and all that he does is good. And we've got to keep our sights on the fact that God is always good in what he does. When Barsabbas wasn't chosen, that was not a bad scenario for Barsabbas. If we think in that moment that Barsabbas lost and Matthias won, then we've misunderstood the reality of God's goodness in every circumstance. This was not a win-lose proposition for Barsabbas. He did not put himself out there as a possible choice to be the 12th and final apostle in the 12, knowing that if he didn't get chosen, he was now rejected by God forever. He did not consider that this would be the end of his story. No, this is just a small chapter in the story where God clarifies his will for me and the lot he has determined for me is the lot in which I can experience the same level of goodness as Matthias can experience the level of goodness from God. Just because Matthias was chosen and I was not chosen does not mean that God is not good to me. You see, he had to keep in mind the goodness of God. You have to keep in mind the goodness of God in and through every relationship and every circumstance. Is it true that some of us are going to have relationships this year that are really hurtful? Yes. Is it true that some of us in this room are going to have circumstances that are going to bring sorrow to a degree that we could not have imagined? Yes. That does not mean that the goodness of God is not present in and through every circumstance. How do you think it is that God's word can say in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, God works all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because God's goodness finds a way in and through every relationship and every circumstance. Just because I might think that something is not as good as something else does not mean that God's goodness is not going to be delivered to my life through that thing that feels less good to me. God is good. In Psalm 119 it Continues on through in verse 71. It says, it was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your precepts. The writer of Psalms 119 says, hey, I recognize that the afflictions that came into my life were goodness of God because it's through those afflictions I learned who God is. 
And so now I will say, no, I would not have preferred that. No, that in and of itself is not necessarily inherently good. But what God did in his redemptive love is he took what is inherently not good and he brought goodness out of it. And he changed my life so that the psalmist continued to say, you, O Lord, are good. You are righteous in all your judgments. Your decisions are righteous. And in your faithfulness, You have afflicted me. Wouldn't it be so much better if we were a people who said, Lord, if you afflict me in 2017 to whatever degree, I will call you faithful. Because I know that in whatever affliction you determine for me, I will find your goodness. You want to avoid resentment this year? You have to embrace the goodness of God in and through every relationship in every circumstance. Is this an easy way? No. It is a terribly difficult way. But it is a far better way than resentment. You know what God wants to do in our lives? Each and every Sunday he wants to bring us into this place And so capture us with his love and forgiveness that we are reoriented to everything that happens to us. So then we walk out of here when somebody does us wrong. We, instead of focusing on how they hurt us, we focus on how God has forgiven our sin. And then because we focus on God's forgiveness of our sin, we can love the one who hurt us. He wants us to walk out of this place so captured by a relationship with him that when a relationship in our life that we feel must work and it doesn't work, that we don't determine that God doesn't love us, we instead cast our hearts upon him knowing that the relationship we have with him can inform us to live in the relationship that remains broken. He is that good. He is that real. His truth is that significant. And he has given us the opportunity to gather in this place every week to meet him afresh and anew to find a better way. And let me tell you, when we walk out of these doors and we walk into our world, you know what kind of world we're walking into? We're walking into a world that creates moment after moment after moment for people to resent what's happened to them. You know what the world needs to see in us? A people who have found that there is a better way than resentment. It's called thanksgiving. That we have found a way to be thankful in all things because Christ has met us right where we are. It's amazing what the Apostle Paul says in The book of 1 Corinthians, he says in chapter 10, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. No matter what happens to you this week, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Don't live in any way that offends anybody in your life. Resentment is not an option. He says, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. I am going to live my life focusing on the forgiveness of God and my relationship with Christ, seeking the goodness of God in every circumstance, in every relationship, so that I might live among all people for their benefit, not mine. For them to see the light and the hope of Christ that they might be saved. Resentment is not an option for the people of God. Our world needs to see that we have found 
the goodness of God in and through all things because of the forgiveness of God and a relationship with Christ. I want to read to you Psalm, Psalm 13. Listen to the psalmist's heart. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemies will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. The psalmist has a choice to make right in that moment. Will I resent the fact that nothing in my life is working out like I think it should. God, where are you? Well, I choose to see who God is and expect to experience his goodness in the midst of any and every circumstance. Look what the psalmist says. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. His circumstances didn't change. His relationships with the people around him didn't change. But he changed because of God and his goodness. Some of you may have heard that over the last couple of weeks, our family has discovered that my dad has cancer. And he's here today. And I asked him if I could share this with you. We're in that window of time where we know he has cancer, but we don't know what that means. And we're waiting on test results to find out more. You know, that's one of the hardest windows to live in. Because you just don't know what it means. And it was so good for me to see my dad face to face and hear him say to me, I know God is good. And whatever happens, we can trust him. We're all going to have a reason to resent something this year. There's just a far better way. And every Sunday, we're going to have a reminder of that better way. And I am so thankful. This morning, we have an unbelievable reminder. We're going to take communion together. We're going to have the reminder of communion to set our hearts and minds on Jesus' sacrifice for us. We have an opportunity to confess our sins and get our hearts right before him as we start this new year to start fresh today with a clean slate, a heart laid bare before the Lord, saying to him, I want the better way this year. I surrender my life to you.